We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. And when we talk about modern dating, I like talking about psychology too, the theories behind why we are the way we are in relationships. Mm -hmm. Something we don't talk about and also something you don't learn in school, which, hello, why? Why is that something you don't (laughs) learn in school? You like learn about math, which I never use really, but then attachment styles is what we're talking about today is something that could have been very helpful to me 10 years ago and still today too. So we We've got an expert here in the house. Her name is Lauren. She's in her 30s. She's been in San Francisco for 10 years, originally from LA. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist plus meditation teacher in San Francisco. I feel like if you're 
a marriage and family therapist, you probably should meditate at the same time. Like I feel like they go <laughs> hand in hand. She's passionate about helping men, women, and couples level up their love lives through mindfulness, coaching, and somatic psychotherapy. What is that? Uh, in short, it's body-oriented psychotherapy. So paying attention to your body as well as what all the thoughts and stories that go on in your mind. Hmm. There is just so much to learn about yourself, isn't mm, there? It's, it's not endless. just a personality <laughs> test. It's like everything. You've got to feel it and you got to totally. see it. So today we got to feel what attachment <laughs> theories are. That's what we're learning. I feel like I'm, I'm in school learning, <laughs> learning about myself, something new today. I've heard about attachment theories through Julie, yeah. who to- told me all about this I- idea. And it, it's so mind boggling. If this is the first time you've heard about this, you know, it's like how we behave the way we do in relationships. And according to psychology today, I'll just do a quick summary. Our style of attachment affects everything from our partner selection to how well our relationships progress to sadly how they end. That is why recognizing our attachment pattern can help us understand our strengths and vulnerabilities in a relationship. An attachment pattern is established in early childhood attachments and it continues to function as a working model for relationships in adulthood. And if anyone wants to know a little more, because I I think attachment theory is fascinating and I'm super excited to have this because I think it's actually a little confusing when you're online and you see like there's so many articles about attachment so many information and yeah yeah, like it literally (laughs) like even getting the summary of what it was I was like scrolling through like thousands of articles and I think it was interesting though I didn't realize that it was initially developed in 1952 by um, a British psychologist John Bowlby Bowlby maybe I should have (laughs) yeah tell us about the background of attachment theories Lauren <laughs> Let's stop so, reading Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John Bowlby came up with the term, and then there were some experiments in 1965 by Mary Ainsworth, an American Canadian developmental psychologist. So, and this actually might be an area where I'm not totally. I might need some brushing up too, because here in, in the notes that you guys gave me, it says that she identified three major attachment styles, but there are four, and I thought she had identified four, but three of them do get the most attention mm. um, because they are the most predominant. Mm according to most of the research out there, which, as we said, is conflicting. But she did a series of experiments called the Strange Situation Experiments, where she had a child in a room, and the child was being, her team was observing this child with their caregiver, their mother, in in most cases. Their mother would leave the room, and the mother would come back. And so they observed these different ways that the child would respond to the mother coming back into the room group those into four different categories. And those are the the strategies that the children kind of engaged in to like reconnect with their mother when she returned to the Mm -hmm. room. So by virtue of that alone, Mm -hmm. are attachment styles innate in us? We're just born with them? It's a combination of temperament and the way that our caregivers attune to us is, is as much oh, as we know. So it's you can have different attachment styles with different caregivers. So mm. your primary caregiver is probably going to have the strongest influence on you, but you can have an, a secondary caregiver who you have a you know a different relationship with. You might have an insecure relationship with your primary caregiver and a secure relationship with someone else. And so we have these different imprints and patterns in us, and they can be activated at different times, which, as we'll talk about, some in different 
different relationships, we show up differently. So basically, mm-hmm. if you're a baby and you start crying and your mm-hmm, parent mm-hmm. leaves you, like, mm-hmm. is that like how they would figure? I think I've read yes. somewhere, like, if you start crying, and, so, yeah. Right, the, the parent would come back into the room and the secure child would be soothed by the mom returning. Mm-hmm. They'd cry and they'd be soothed and they would just kind of transition easily back to connection with the mother. And the anxious child would cling to the mom and they would, it would be really hard for them to be soothed. And then the avoidant child, their pattern was that the mom would come back and they would be really dismissive and mm-hmm. um, show a lack of emotion. and Kind of like, fuck you, you left me. I'm yeah, going to ignore you now. Well, that's how we <laughs> interpret it a lot, actually, in dating, too, right? Like the avoidant <laughs> attachment style. And um, actually, I think that in some ways, some of the literature that's been written on avoidant attachment kind of is blaming in that way, too. Their whole system shuts down on the outside. But internally, the avoidant child is experiencing more anxiety, actually, than the anxious. Okay, can we just back up up for anybody who's not familiar with attachment styles? Let's go through all four of them. Okay. What are they? Let's define them. So the three that we've talked about so far is secure attachment, which is sort of like the gold standard that all the (laughs) literature talks about as being like what you want to have and like look for a secure partner and that kind of thing. Um, But we all have elements of security in us. It's really just like how can we cultivate that and bring that out in relationship. Then there's anxious, ambivalent attachment style, which is the second one that I talked about. And then the third one is avoidant or dismissive. And then the last one is... The forgotten one. The forgotten one, exactly, (laughs) is disorganized. Well, it's been called disorganized and now it's called fearful avoidant. Mm-hmm. And oh. it has elements of both the anxious and the avoidant. And so, and that's why they call it disorganized. But usually that one is more the result of either big T trauma, like either your parent has trauma in response to you with those responses, or they're consistently not attuned to you or hostile when you when the child reaches to them for connection. So I read yeah. somewhere that like 50% of the population secure. And again, these numbers yes. vary depending on what resource you go totally. to. And then it was like 20% are anxious, mm-hmm. 25% avoidant, mm-hmm. and then like 5% this fearful. Yeah. Is there like any truth to those numbers or like how do you look that's breakout. a really large percentage of secure attachment <laughs> styles. I know. And when you look at the dating scene in San Francisco, you're like, like does that where are they? Well, <laughs> married. married. That's, that's, what, that's what the book attached says. I mean, I see conflicting research out there. And for the most part, I hear 7% for disorganized attachment style. And it's like that. That's why it's kind of the forgotten one. But then I saw something earlier today that was like 20% are fearful avoidant. And so, and then I noticed like in doing some research for this podcast too, just taking quizzes on different websites. Mm-hmm. My attachment style is yeah, different. Totally different. Quiz. I yeah. noticed that and too. Yeah. yeah. The measures that they're using, I don't know, are not, don't seem to be standard. In psychology, we have like an adult attachment interview that's sort of the standard that you can use to evaluate people's attachment styles. Mm. But these online quizzes and the, the, you know, the measures people are using to come up with these statistics, I, I think would have to be looked at a little more closely yeah. for us to get judgment on it. It might not today. be so black and white because like I took yeah. one one quiz that was like you're secure overall however you do mm-hmm, show like mm-hmm. fear of abandonment and like those types mm-hmm. of insecure traits but i'm like generally like okay to let someone be and do their thing 
Mm. So there's like yeah. aspects of insecurity that I possess. Yes. So because you're human, right? I mean, that's <laughs> the part that's always interesting. Cause it's like I've also seen studies that's like, yeah, all the married people are secure. Yeah. And then everyone that's yeah. left in the dating pool <laughs> either anxious or avoidant. But mm, like, any bias there? Yeah. I like I guess like it's, it's interesting. Cause, like we we spend all these other episodes and conversations thinking about what we're what we're doing right and wrong in our dating life. But does it all come down to the way we're raised and can we just blame our parents <laughs> yeah blame it on the parents <laughs> done end of episode bye <laughs> end of podcast end of podcast to talk about. we're gonna do a podcast about selling on ebay now I don't know. I mean, yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we could just answer all of our questions um, about dating and relationships by identifying our attachment style? We figured it out. But why is it important to know our attachment styles? Let's take a quick break because I have an announcement. All right, everyone, you're hearing it here first. We would like to take our relationship IRL. We are inviting you, badass listeners, to be our VIP guests at our very first live dateable podcast show in San Francisco. Whether you're trying to DTR or DTR, will answer all your burning questions about love, sex, and relationships, along with some surprise guests and, well, just some other surprises that we can't reveal right now. The event will be on Tuesday, December 10th, and it's free, but you have to get tickets because space is limited. Come and be our VIP guests at the very first Dateable Podcast Live recording. Whether you're single, taken, or trying to figure it out, this show is for you. Get all the deets on our Facebook page, Instagram, or datablepodcast.com com slash live now back to this episode but why is yeah. it important to know our attachment styles well it can be so validating and normalizing to read about an attachment style and be like oh i do all those things and mm-hmm. then to start to have this self-awareness about it and realize like i'm doing this thing and actually that these thoughts that i'm having about this person aren't true they're just reflective of my attachment style and once mm. we start to have that awareness we have choice about how we act versus just you know acting mm. according to these imprints that were imprinted on us at a young age we can have some choice about responding differently and and having working towards more security in relationships so if you're feeling insecure for example yeah let's go to that is one is it like you're you're not with the right partner or is it come down to the fact that like like the way you were raised is yeah. causing this and it's really something that's going on with you and it may not have anything to do with the partner right. or is it a combination of the two that is a complex question i would say a combination <laughs> of the two i gave the easy answer yeah. out <laughs> well it really just depends on the circumstance and each person has to that's why identifying your attachment style is really important because then you can start to see okay this is the way that I consistently act in most situations or this is my tendency or one of my tendencies you know yourself well enough to say okay this part's me okay (laughs) and then what is the other person and by understanding and having an awareness of attachment styles you can more easily see the other person so like for example so the book attached talks a lot about this and I I, you know one of my clients reads it they have all these revelations (laughs) who's the author of that again do you know Uh, Amir Levine if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And there's also a woman who's a co-author, I believe. I haven't read it in a long time, my disclaimer. Amir Uh, Levine and Rachel Heller. Rachel Heller. I have thoughts on the book, but I won't share those right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so one of my clients read it recently and is like, everything makes so much more sense in my dating life. Now I can look back at um, the people I've dated and I can identify which ones were avoidant and which, because that book focuses a lot on just identifying, 
actually. It seems to me to single out, like identify and avoidant attachment style quite a bit. The directive in that book is like seek out secure partners and secure attachment. Mm -hmm. I think that book is also where they say that the dating pool is mostly insecure. That's where I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think I actually got like a very strong anxious. And then I was surprised when I took another quiz and it was like, oh yeah, you're secure with like a little anxiety. So in the book, obviously secure, again, is a gold standard and secure attachment people can be with anybody. They can be with avoidant and anxious. Yeah. But isn't that fucking annoying to be like the (laughs) secure person and then you're like dealing with all these anxious people? I I don't really understand how that would be compatible. Well, love is, I guess, the glue that holds people together or that, you know, (laughs) chemistry is sparked and, and... That's the thing, I guess, about secure attachment is like you kind of ebb and flow with it. I mean, relationships, I think, are just annoying in general, right? Mm. Like there's no way around that. But if you have enough good and enough yeah. in common with the person and enough chemistry, it makes it worth it. But <laughs> I mean, Julie, to your point, though, I feel like attachment styles can be relative to who you're dating, right? Or what situation you're mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. So maybe sometimes you're more secure and anxious than other times. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way about the love languages my changes depending on who I'm with yeah. because I'm needing different things But I think now. the science here is saying it's rooted it's based rooted. off of the That's way we were That's what I'm raised. still trying to get to. So it's rooted in that. But like I said, you can have different attachment styles with different caregivers. And what they found is like there is correlation between being an infant and having an attachment style and your adult relationships, but it's not totally direct. And some of the ways that mm. it's grouped at a young age is as your attachment is, is described as like organized or disorganized secure and secure. And when you get into the dating pool age or just as you become older, we look more at like approach and avoidance patterns and focus a little more on that. One of the main things I think that attachment predicts, there was something around like having a more secure attachment predicts just like sort of a general sense of happiness mm. um, and ease. One thing that that all of the different sources out there do have in common is that they all say you can work towards secure attachment. Okay. And you can do it individually or you can do it with a partner. So there's whole forms of therapy that are based on this idea, like a lot of the couples work out there, emotionally focused therapy, EFT, which is something that I've trained in, and then PACT, which stands for like a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. Those are all about developing secure bonds within a relationship. Mm. Those are maybe married people that Mm, actually don't have a totally secure bond, but they develop it through taking risks, sharing with each other, and, and starting to trust. And I'd imagine if you're with someone that's secure to your question earlier like why would they want to be with you yeah there's a lot of other things beyond (laughs) just your patterns but I think also it's like a lot of times like I would imagine correct me if I'm wrong that secure people would be able to like empathize with a partner more Mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. have an understanding of them and then I would imagine it would help someone that may be more insecure or avoidant to actually be with someone secure that would help them get to a more secure state can we have a little bit more clarity on the different attachment styles in terms of how they present themselves in a relationship. Yeah. So if you're secure, obviously secure, we can skip. We know what it's <laughs> like. But if you're anxious, yeah. what does that attachment style look like? If you're like, how does it show up in dating or relationships? Yeah. Okay. Is it always like, um, I need to know what my partner's doing all the time. I That's need to be part of updated. It. That can be a part of it. Um, hypervigilance can be a part of it. Always looking for cues and, and mm-hmm. like trying to read into situations and maybe reading the 
worst in, t- in a situation mm. is part of it. Anxious individuals can tend to like project family history on relationships. There are some of their sort of protest behaviors that are called can be like when separation happens instead of saying like, oh, I miss you. It can it can be like protesting by blaming or criticizing the person like you always pull away or mm. um, kind of attacking because there's this feeling of like threat or abandonment. It comes out of anxiety. Yeah, totally. Wow. It comes out of anxiety. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> what about like looking for the other ball to drop, like yeah. waiting for that oh, or like... Rejection sensitivity. Yeah, I think the parts I've experienced more anxious side is like almost like not expecting, but like being like, oh, I hope like plans don't get canceled yeah. or like, oh, is this person going to text me back? Like anxiety oh, yeah. around texting. Like I think someone more secure might just be like, oh, they're doing something else. Like, yeah. you know, mm, yeah. so it could show up in those ways. So making up stuff when, Stories things, in your when things aren't happening. Guess, Filling in the blanks. Yeah. Like, I guess mm. the question, though, is, like, even if you're secure, like, I would assume that's bound to happen. Yeah. Like, Definitely, we all are prone to sometimes feeling anxious about text messages, <laughs> regardless of attachment style. And certain people are going to trigger you differently than other people mm-hmm. in certain contexts. And certain right. times in your life, you're going to be more susceptible to it. Mm. Like, if everything in your life is going wrong, and then <laughs> you've got one thing that's going right, right. you're going to, you know, and it's someone doesn't text you back, and that's the thing that's going right, that's going to have more weight than if you're feeling really great in other areas of That's your a life. really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in online dating or in modern dating in general, I think everyone's like anxious attachment <laughs> style because you can get on their social media, you can track their GPS. You you have all this information without actually having them tell you this you information. You have the best point. But it, I just think that the conditions and the environment is not right to cultivate secure attachment right. with all of the online dating apps. And so the way that we cultivate secure relationships is through having them and through meeting people in person mm. but this these environments where there's like no accountability to anyone and you have all of this information at your fingertips but it's not grounded in any sort of real yeah. relationship I don't know I kind of think of it as like we're trying to like form relationships but we're all driving on separate cars on yes. a freeway yeah. yes. and like the conditions are like and like the sun is shining in your face and you're like stressed out and yes. trying to form a connection with the person driving in the car next to you but then you've got you know you're trying to do all of these things Oh my God, so true. People are trying to cut it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Super super stressful. I think what's interesting is like before we did this podcast, like I thought for sure I had like anxious attachment because of a lot of these like Mm -hmm. modern dating Mm -hmm. things, right? That I didn't realize that other people were also experiencing. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned, I took this quiz and it was like, no, you're secure. And I'm like, wait, what? All this time (laughs) I thought I was anxious. But it was like one area, right? It was like Mm -hmm. a round of fear of abandonment, like I mentioned. But then when I started to like read all the different things about like having this anxious style, a lot of it was mm-hmm. like incessantly checking up on your partner and mm-hmm. like looking for like those types of things. And I think it's just like you can show up in some ways, but not necessarily all. And there's probably a spectrum of like mm-hmm. how anxious you are. Absolutely. I Yeah. One of the quizzes that I found online today, it was there was a woman named Diane Poole who has a website and she specializes in attachment. And I really liked her quiz. I would found one like that a long time ago and I couldn't find it again today she just shows the percentage you have of each different style mm. oh okay and so you're not just absolute one right. thing because we aren't we aren't in any way yeah so if you have more of an anxious attachment style how can you work towards a more secure attachment style with all of them there's some common out like whatever attachment style you have there are some common things that you can do but i guess specifically with and i'll 
of them, I would say, involve mindfulness from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But with anxious attachment in particular, you're creating stories, right? So it's recognizing that tendency to fill in the blanks, having more awareness about your stories that you tend to put out there and having, and and this is similar for avoidant too, and also anxious and avoidant styles tend to flip. So you might be anxious in one relationship and avoidant in the next. Interesting. And anxious and avoidant shouldn't be together, right? They often are together. They gravitate (laughs) towards each other. Interesting, but they shouldn't. And they flip back and forth. It's it's almost like this magnetism. That's true, because the more anxious you are, you probably drive the other person to be more avoidant and vice versa. And both are kind of uncomfortable with a certain level of intimacy because in the caregiving relationship they weren't received with that sort of like intimacy so the avoidant person is more comfortable with a bit of distance and even though the anxious person tends to be the pursuer they're also a little uncomfortable when someone's coming towards them because that's more intimacy than they're used to and they're Mm. used to being in the role of of reaching so what about the avoidant how does that show up in dating and relationships what does that look like yeah so that's also known as the dismissive type and that can be like pulling away not showing as much emotion the pulling away, like you said, Julie, it can be interpreted as kind of a fuck you response. <laughs> but under that, it's really, and this is like what maybe a more secure um, like perspective on it would be, and this is part of like what we can do with our attachment styles, reframe what's happening. A more secure perspective might just be to notice, oh, that person's feeling really overwhelmed and they're needing to cope with their emotions. Mm. And so instead of making it about ourselves to recognize that that's their coping mechanism. That being said, they still might not be the partner for you because it's like, I can't deal with you yeah. if you're constantly pulling so, away. Avoidant, it might not necessarily be, because I think I've always, in my head, I've always had like, they're just like, they want to be independent. They want to do their own and they might not want to be like in a relationship because of all that. But if I'm understanding correctly, saying that that might not be the case, they might just be like so like not knowing how to handle their emotions that they're like stepping back. Yeah, they're not really capable necessarily of um, having more intimacy unless they do work on themselves, too. And so they might have an inner conflict, like part of them, part of most humans wants this deep connection Mm. but a a bigger part of them might feel like especially if they're unconscious about it that's unsafe i don't even want to go there i don't want to touch that i'm just going to be rejected and abandoned and met with hostility interesting like i was and that's what's working unconsciously that's so so interesting because i feel like the i would think like the people that are scared of rejection would be more anxious but you're saying it might actually be they're afraid of rejection but they're not in touch with the fear so the anxious person is in touch with the fear their nervous system calmer because of that to some extent whereas the um i mean and i don't know about with adults but with babies at least the the avoidant they're just as their nervous system is just as responsive to the person coming or going they just don't show it and they've disconnected from it so they're not interested showing their feelings so which, the avoidant could be someone who's non-committal absolutely okay. what about ghosting where does that fit in that definitely would fit in probably more with the avoidant but again could be anxious or fearful mm. um, the disorganized one or if we were secure we could say that maybe they just like went to the hospital and, and <laughs> no, I'm just kidding yeah something really <laughs> something bad really happened, bad happened. <laughs> no, I mean probably yeah probably one of the insecure styles they don't have the tools to say what's really going on mm. which 
um, is not an excuse. Like I, I don't think any of this is an excuse because this all can be changed. We just have to choose to become conscious right. of it. Yeah. Some other things with the avoidant attachment style, the ways that they'll avoid themselves might be like, it might be through alcohol or drug use mm-hmm. or something like that, but it also might just be like perusing social media so that right. where you're like, oh, they're not responding to me oh, and yet they're on social yeah. media. That That's an avoidance track. Like anything that just distracts from feelings and emotions is, is kind of where the avoidant goes um, when they're activated yeah. and they don't even realize it. They just are so used to cutting off their emotions. Yeah. I, I feel like dating that. someone who's avoidant would make me more anxious yeah because they wouldn't be so present but then at the same time I've had friends who talk about this people who are anxious in general look for that anxiety in relationships yeah and if they don't have it they think the relationship is not going well, well that like yeah. why am I not worried about where he is and why am I not questioning things yep. so you kind of feed into that right. yeah and that's also like that's part of knowing your attachment activation too like what's the difference between a healthy relationship and like love and passion and and just like your attachment system being activated and like mm-hmm. not confusing the two. So because we get primed with these attachment systems to say like, okay, this is what love is. Like that's my mom or whatever. And I'm used to, to feeling this like yearning for connection. And so mm-hmm. that's what love feels like. Like and instead of being able to just be comfortable with actually the intimacy and, and being connected. I read that too though, that it was like you are looking for something in a relationship. Like you're gonna find a partner that will give you what you're looking for mm. so if you feel like you're used to being anxious that's why oftentimes gravitated to the avoidant mm. and will find the mm-hmm. secure boring or they're just mm-hmm. like not yeah. the spark isn't there and all of that mm. yeah because you've mistaken the anxiety for butterflies mm-hmm. mm. and love and love <laughs> right why do you think though avoidance are well, I guess if two avoidance were together or just nothing ever happened. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. You, that you kind it's of nailed it. Like that, that's a much more rare pairing than anxious yeah. avoidant or anxious anxious or any combination with secure. Well, even anxious anxious, I feel like that could get a little crazy too. Like if both people just had like a lot of neuroses and like constantly talking about things. I think anxious anxious are like the love at first sight people. Yeah. You know, like could be. high bursts of passion in the beginning and then it does down and then it becomes really bad can be that and it can be like a little bit become a little bit codependent where you're just always together and um, that's true what about the last one i'm like fearful fearful the forgotten child seriously fearful and disorganized right yep so that's like where a parent has either trauma or it responds to the child with hostility or or if they're just like there's some neglect there and maybe the parent has depression or mental illness and isn't really present so how that shows up is in relationship is that those people will seek closeness but then they'll mm-hmm. show traits of both so they'll kind of have a little bit of that anxiety and, mm-hmm. and seek the closeness but then they'll pull away so it's these mixed messages of like come here go away is kind of what characterizes that style and it, yeah that can be if you have like a borderline parent or narciss- narcissistic parent or really depressed parent it can seem like erratic behavior or like sudden uh, shifts in the relationship mm-hmm. a lot of drama a lot of drama um, so are you like doomed if you have that style <laughs> Oh, like, or you, can you get like? I guess like all, I know like secure is the gold standard. But are the <laughs> and I just say that kind of jokingly. I don't want to make us all feel bad about like. Yeah, but no, it's not just of... you though. I feel like you read that over yeah. and over again. <laughs> yeah, but like I guess like is there any benefits to being one of the other two, or is it really like you are trying to be secure? Like that is the goal. 
Hey, just a quick break here so I can tell you about our sponsor, Lola. You've probably heard us rave all about this brand, a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton, BPA-free tampons, pads, and liners, as well as sex products too. What I like about Lola is that their products don't contain any of the irritating additives and are proven to be reliable. My favorite Lola products are the condoms. Yes, I've said this over and over again, but damn, next time someone you're hooking up with insists on no condoms, have some Lola condoms ready. It will change your mind. These condoms are made out of natural rubber latex and individually tested for contraception and STI protection. The handy sidekick to these condoms is the Lola Personal Lubricant, featuring a mess-free one-click pump system with a water-based formula and is completely hypoallergenic. With Lola, you get everything delivered to your door, hassle-free. For dateable listeners only, you get 30% off your first month subscription. Just visit mylola.com and enter the code DATEABLE30 when when you subscribe. Again, go to mylola.com and enter the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E 30 when you subscribe. Now back to the show. Is there any benefits to being one of the other two or is it really like you are trying to be secure? Like that is the goal. I mean, like you said, drama is a big benefit <laughs> for, for the other two. You know, anytime we have a challenge and you have to overcome it, you walk away with like more self-knowledge, more gifts, yeah. mm-hmm. um, more depth. So that's like the potential of these. But I, I think that it does take like if you have a really strong attachment style in one of these directions, like it really requires self-growth and self-work. And I I think that's why I'm so passionate about the work that I do with dating and relationships to make it more accessible for people to say, hey, I'm I'm struggling with relationships. Like, let me find help for that. Because I think that's part of the problem with like the dating pool is that people aren't really willing to just look at themselves and they're quick to ghost or blame other people or be reactive versus blaming on the apps. Yeah, or the apps or Or your city or whatever the reason is. Yeah, and not look inwards and just keep moving forward. And that's that's part of avoidance an attachment style too, right? To keep looking for the next thing or idealizing. Mm. There's this, both anxious and avoidant tend to have these like fantasies, these ideals. And so they might be responding to that rather than what's right in front of them. And that's what social media and online dating yeah. perpetuate too. They're like, hey, you know, you've got a thousand other options at your fingertips right? right. that will never materialize. So but- I guess the <laughs> right. question, like, I think this is, I would love for someone to like pick up the research here because like, we're <laughs> saying, yeah, Lauren, it's going to be, you know, I'm just kidding. Like, I feel like it, this was a first established 1952, right? Which was like the baby aspect. And then like the attachment style is like 1965 or something. Mm-hmm. Like this is clearly long before mm-hmm. modern yeah. dating and right. dating apps and all this. And like we were saying in this conversation, like how much of this is your attachment style versus just like technology or the way things are today? Mm, a product of your environment. Exactly. Are you asking me? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming we have to do a much bigger thesis to understand this fully, but I well, think it's an actually, interesting conversation topic. It's reminding me, I did go to a talk that was about this project called Weave, and the whole basis of the project is um, about like restoring the importance of relationships in our society and our culture. David Brooks was the person speaking about it, and he spoke about how technology has correlated with just like less relational values in our society and a rise in suicide, a rise in addiction rates. And so he 
starting to explore some of those sort of cultural impacts. And I would say also, I mean, I think it would be really cool to study attachment and say, like, how has this affected our attachment styles? Mm -hmm. How do we show up differently with technology? Yep. Um, because we all feel it. It's obviously Right. right. Like if you didn't have your phone, you weren't waiting for someone. To, well, I guess you were just like waiting by a phone that wasn't your cell phone <laughs> a long time ago. I, but. I, would also, I would also argue this. So I have a girlfriend who has never been, been anxious dating. She's mm. just always been like, he didn't call back. Mm. I guess he's busy. Yeah. He wasn't interested. And mm. she would just let things go very mm -hmm. easily. And I know her parents and the way they brought her up was mm -hmm. every time she would have a conflict with a friend at school. I mean, this is like, I remember hearing about this in elementary school. Her parents would sit her down and be like, let's talk about why Emily isn't talking to you anymore. Mm -hmm. And it comes from empathy. Like it mm -hmm. comes from, I think something's going on at home. I yep. think you should check up on her. I think you should maybe, you know, just say hi to her more. Mm -hmm. And she's really carried that throughout her dating life to the point where she doesn't do online dating. She's never done online dating because she was like, don't need online dating. That's mm -hmm. like, I just know that's not how I would want to bond with someone or, yeah. or to even meet someone. So there is that level of like, it's just innate and yeah. like how you were brought up. But I do think modern dating amplifies some like yes. the, maybe the tiny flames that we had before. Now they're like full blown fires. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom. But did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Vaya has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I would agree with that. I think that's a really great example and a great story of like how secure attachment is formed too. Her parents didn't avoid the issue or say, let's try to yep. fix it. Yeah. They said, let's sit down and talk about it and have a conversation and what can you do and how can you show up differently? And it sounds like it helps her let go of what's, you know, when things aren't working. Yeah. And I think that's a good example of like someone who shows up in a secure way and knows herself and says, I don't want to put myself in this environment that just doesn't inherently feel valuing to me. Mm -hmm. And I do think when people go into that environment, if they might go in feeling a higher degree of security and you start to have these experiences of ghosting or lying or people yeah. with their own trauma that are just with, with these attachment styles who might put it out there up front in the dating app after you have enough of those experiences those start to accumulate and imprint you in a different way that's a really good point too because we like are I, neuroplastic yeah. we can we're changing all the time we are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey 
And yet, we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because I'm like trying to think the flip side of a lot of people we talk to, right? Myself included. There's a lot of times, I mean, I think I've gotten a lot better about this over the years, but initially it was always like, what did I do wrong? Why didn't this yeah. person like me? Yeah. And we still hear this all the time, which is basically the polar opposite of what you're saying your friend did. Yeah. Some of that, I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm not going to ask you what was in their childhood because that probably depends on so many different mm-hmm. factors. Although if you have an answer, please let what us know. What was in his childhood? Like, I guess like the people that don't like look at it that way. Like they look at it more like, what did I do versus like, oh, there's a logical reason or like no big deal. They didn't like me. I mean, I can speak for myself. My parents ever since I was little would be like, don't hang out with that kid. That's a bad kid. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. don't talk to this guy because he's a bad guy. It was always about the other people. Uh So I grew up feeling like, oh, I'm just going to eliminate people from my life Mm -hmm. who are bad or toxic. And it was never about what is really going on in their life and and how how do I relate to them? Mine was the same. Oh my so God, great. a revelation just ding, happened. Ding, ding, ding. Totally. And then that also internalizes to you, like someone cuts me out of their life, then I'm bad. It gives you that message yeah. both directions versus... Yeah, that's very true. More, yeah. That's and it interesting. Makes it more reactive, right? It's reactive mm. and attachment styles are reactive versus in a secure attachment, you're coming from maybe your own sense of worth and just approaching it that way. So my coworker was talking about how she has three children and the oldest is the most neurotic. <laughs> And the youngest is the most laid back and it corresponded mm-hmm. to her parenting, but mm-hmm. in a different way than I've always associated attachment styles. So mm-hmm. basically with her first one, the second he would start crying, she'd be like at his beck and call, mm-hmm. like always there. Mm-hmm. So she'd always be doting on him. And then the third child, the youngest child, basically like she'd just be like, oh, you'll, you'll figure oh, it yeah, out. Like yeah. you'll be yes. crying, you'll figure it out. Uh-huh. But that one is the most secure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So you would think that like the more mm-hmm. attentive you were, to a parent that would help with security however it doesn't always and I'm looking at my childhood and like I know my mom was super addictive oh yeah but I don't know does that like it was interesting when mm-hmm. she said it because I'm like does that bring up some of my like fear of abandonment I always thought like associated someone that was more like fear of abandonment of someone that like had their parents always disappear and weren't around oh but I see what is you're it like well, is it the reverse of if, her? It, if it's too much yeah. does yeah. it go push it the other well, way well we've all heard of helicopter moms yes. yeah. and then there's like yeah it's all about extremes and moderation, right? But Dan Siegel, who's done a lot of attachment research and actually has a course where you can like learn about your attachment style and rewrite your narrative that I found online oh. today too, also while doing research. He talks about how like that dynamic, especially with, with a first time mom, and I know like my mom was this way, she comes rushing to attend to you and yeah. she's feeling all this fear about, you know, maybe yep. being a good mom and her own anxiety. So then you receive all of that. You have this little mm, infant sponge just receiving like all that anxiety. mom loves me 
and anxiety is paired with yes. like oh. love like love Interesting. so you're receiving her energy and her words and her attentiveness and so that becomes printed in you as, uh-huh. as got it like, so avoidant and anxious it might not relate to like how often they're around or anything like that it's more their energy yeah it can it does it can relate to that too but okay. it's not so such a direct correlation like if you're neglected depends on how they tend to you and the and, and the frequency so people can have drastically different childhoods and somehow be in the, a similar attachment style overall yeah in some ways but I, there are some patterns that you can look at like i guess do movie three identical strangers no i want to it's it was good. on the plane i want oh to that was it. the one of the three triplets that were separated yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i did not see it it made me think about i mean because they're nature yeah, versus nature, nature versus nurture <laughs> and they had very different parenting styles and i don't want to ruin the ending but they they're some of their lives ended up very differently and, you, okay. and they do look at the parenting styles Ooh. and how that might plan to and the, the one parenting style i think they take kind of a stronger or harder look at or that i tuned into more was the parent who was like very much about sort of suppressing emotions mm. and not feeling emotions and i think that generally can lead to less secure attachment for example so i don't know there's some patterns that you can find as evidenced by these like the strange situation experiment but i don't think this is an actual statistic but mm-hmm. i do think the youngest are always the most confident i've I, always yeah, found that usually the parents are more the, assured more sure more sure less fearful by that so it's like if a parent has this unprocessed fear and emotion that they're bringing into the relationship that's going to be transferred in some way or other but i guess like if you were the youngest and your parents were going through some major trauma in their life yeah. or like losing True, a child yeah. that's going to affect yeah. you it's situational really it's probably but so for the yeah. most part parents have been through it a few times so they are a little like, more chill whatever <laughs> or if you're like the accident child i could see that working yeah. against you also <laughs> only if you know you're the accident well, child say if your parents just like for whatever reason weren't as engaged in your childhood yeah. like red places like there's like showing up at sports events and like the mm-hmm. different things that like you as a child are expecting someone to right. if you scan the audience and your parents aren't there that's going to have an impact mm-hmm. of like how you mm-hmm. view this. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what what are your attachment styles i know you you already said it julie but what do you think fundamentally what do you think is the majority um i think i've actually adapted over time and i mean maybe i just took two different quizzes so there's that also but like I think I did start off much more insecure and I think I have, I mean, I've gone to therapy. I've like done a lot of self work. So I think I have more transferred to secure. However, I'm not going to say that I'm like totally void of insecure patterns. Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely, I have a side fear of abandonment that comes up and that's where I show insecure. I'm more like let people do what they want. I'm not concerned about that so yeah it's just like one area specifically that i now am aware of and Mm -hmm. like i need to remember how that shows up for me Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Lauren, what about you? Yeah, that's always been, I've, I've never really been able to identify it. So when <laughs> I when I first remember taking the quiz was with that, that attached book and it told me that I was anxious, the quiz on that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this doesn't really That's resonate. where I took it too. Yeah, I mean, they just totally let resonate. everyone know they're anxious. <laughs> and then it's all more by attached yeah. version two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it just didn't, I, I was like, apply to me, I don't feel this way. I don't <sighs> feel like I show up this way. So I really liked, there was a quiz that I, I had taken and found after that years ago that I I don't remember 
what the results were. I was trying to find the results. But then I took, again today, Diane Poole's test. And I really liked that a lot better because it, it almost had like, it was quadrants. It was yeah. almost like all four of them equally. I'm going to do that um, Or one. something. I don't remember exactly what the portions were. But I remember saying, this makes a lot more sense to me because I do feel like I have elements of all of these different patterns that show up depending on who I'm dating. Or who have, you, have you ever done a test? No, I haven't. I don't know which one I I feel like I'm all of them. Like currently I'm dating someone who is very secure and I have a very anxious attachment style to him because in previous relationships I've been with anxious people. So mm. I just assume that anxiety like, oh, who are you seeing tonight? Who are you going to be with? Is also their way of showing that they care about me and love me, mm-hmm. right? Oh. So because I'm with someone secure, he isn't so much about that. You know, my mm-hmm. free time is my free time. He's not filling in the blank. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes me really anxious because mm-hmm. I'm like, does he not care about me the way I, I'm i so used to? So as a result of that, it's made me avoidant because I think, well, if I'm so anxious about this and it seems like he doesn't really, the, mm. you know, what I'm doing in my free time, then I'm just going to avoid it. I'm just mm-hmm. going to, not even going to tell him what's going on in my life anymore, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. what do you think about that situation? Like, because sometimes security comes off as, I don't know, ambivalence, ambivalence yeah. mm-hmm. in a relationship. How would you tell a couple, you know, who, who comes and sees you, how would you help them get over that? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Free therapy session. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the first thing, it would be different working with a couple versus just like, what do you do about it? Trust building starts with talking about the dynamics and being able to, yeah, just know that you can have that conversation and you can share. And so in a couple's therapy session, we would talk about the dynamic that is at play and in a really non-blaming way, right? Mm-hmm. And start to explore like what feelings are under driving the dynamic for each of you like the surface feelings whether yep. that's you know anxiety the deeper feelings which might be fear or just like really you know wanting to connect with this person and mm-hmm. so we would just explore what dynamics were at play and develop more awareness about that together mm-hmm. as a couple I think also not that I'm a therapist or psychologist in any way but let me analyze you actually just kind of regurgitating what Lauren said <laughs> so I can't be a therapist but I think <laughs> I think like, like, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Oh, 10 minutes ago. Um, I think what you what was interesting what you just said is you flip between anxious and avoidant. Mm-hmm. And wasn't that something that you said mm-hmm. earlier that mm-hmm. those two flip flop and sometimes the way that someone anxious actually deals with it is to become avoidant. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting that you kind of said that that was your reaction where your style might be more anxious, but the way it's showing up is avoidant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me just get my degree now. I know. Exactly. $250. Here you go. Vemo do. Yeah. So it didn't come through. I think Julie, you should be a therapist. Noticing that you're doing that and noticing that you're having that reaction and becoming mindful. Like, this is my reaction and trying to go underneath that and to like, how do I, how do I want to show up here? How do I talk about this? How do I express my feelings? How do I soothe myself when I'm mm, feeling yeah. scared? Um, how do I cope with this anxiety? All of those are different ways to work with it. Mm. So I have a question. We mentioned earlier that it's actually more based on your primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that a lot of times like the way you what you seek in a partner shows up from the opposite gender parent. Mm. So like oh. things that mm. like I'm gravitated to someone that acts like my father more. And I would say my mother was more anxious and my father was definitely more avoidant. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought that sometimes I seek out people that are more in that lens because mm. of the influence and the attachment I have with my father. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Is there any truth to that or is that total BS? I have seen it go both direction, like with people being sort of attracted to the same sex or opposite sex parent patterning. But I don't know, I think about like the Oedipus complex, <laughs> or like the Electra <laughs> complex, um, kind of trying to resolve something with the opposite sex parents. I think I think a lot of times like if somebody, you hear a lot about if like a father was absent, mm-hmm. people wanting to having daddy issues or whatever people you know they call it so that can can show up that way i don't know any statistics about if it's more frequent like that or not but attachment though isn't necessarily based on the opposite it's more primary i I would say usually the strongest imprinting is with the person we have most contact with well and also some people have really kind of equal contact with both parents that's true or more contact with their father than their the opposite sex parent than their same-sex parents so but there is usually a very strong bond with the mother in particular because right. of breastfeeding and right that kind you of came out of her yeah I mean, right yeah, there's that whole yeah there's that attachment is about how we sort of complete that like cycle of sort of differentiating or individuating from our parents and feel safe and secure with that in the world so the mom is like a safe haven and then the child gets to venture out and if they're anxious and the mom is doing behaviors or the parent is doing behaviors to reinforce that it feels like more scary to explore whereas mm. the secure child can go out and be separate and then come right. back and move in and out of connection and transition in and out of that with more ease. I'd be so curious how this differs in different cultures. Because I think about Mm -hmm. um, in Chinese culture, it's very common for you to be raised by your grandparents. Yes. Right. So Mm -hmm. your parents basically drop you off ever since you're like a baby. And then I've had friends who were raised by their grandparents. So they were 16, 17, Mm -hmm. 18. So that's their primary. That's their primary caregiver. It'd be so interesting to see how that plays out in their attachment styles. Yeah. So unlike their actual parents. Right. And I'm trying to remember. I remember I had an acupuncturist who talked about this with me. He was saying, that Chinese medicine, they they also look at the grandparents as like an element of support in that relationship. Mm. And yeah, that is lacking in Western culture. And that I think that like online dating, that creates more stress on parent-child relationships in this culture that there isn't outside support. Right. And grandparents tend to be a little bit less reactive because they've mm. been through it. True. They've raised kids. Oh, yeah. They've um, True. weathered a lot more storms. They're yep. in a different phase of their life. Most people's experience with their grandparents is a little less conflicted yeah. than their experience yeah. with their parents. They are in a different stage of life and are able to show up in a more a little bit of a more secure way. And yeah, grandparents, well, the most secure attachment style. <laughs> That's what we learned today. How to be okay, a securely attached. <laughs> Learn from your grandparents. Well, I think I mean her. I think this is a good segue to takeaways. I think this has been a really enlightening really conversation great. for <laughs> someone that has read a lot of articles and read the secure book. I think just like talking it out and like hearing how much it can like dramatically differ and it's not mm-hmm. just like a one size fits all thing I think has been super helpful for me yes so mm-hmm. I guess just like takeaways we have this takeaway pretty much on every episode the more <laughs> you can learn about yourself yeah the better you'll get mm-hmm. at life yep. not yeah. just dating but at life and I think sometimes we accept the way we are because we're like that's just who I am like mm-hmm. that's just my personality that's yeah. just how I deal with things mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be that way we are so dynamic in mm-hmm. in how we operate we are able to change how we show up in relationships and we are able to change our attachment styles even though it takes all that unraveling of years and years of behaviors Mm -hmm. but it is possible but the first step is recognizing it and acknowledging Mm -hmm. it. Totally. I 110% agree with what you just said but I think the flip side of it that I would Mm -hmm. kind of want to point out is like... As a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I know where this is going and I feel like it's going in a good direction. (laughs) 
hopefully I don't disappoint you. Protege right now. So I think that the part I would maybe caution on, because I've felt like this by reading some of this stuff, is that mm-hmm. you fit into a box. Mm, yeah. And I think sometimes if you fit into a box, like that isn't necessarily a holistic view of yourself mm-hmm. either. So it, it's great to be aware of like where these areas for improvement are, mm. but also not necessarily being like, I think like for years I'm like, oh, I'm an insecure attachment mm-hmm. style. And then I'm like, but really, am I? Like, I think right. questioning it. And I love this like one that you pointed out that has the different quadrants because mm-hmm. I think all of us can't be just defined as like, a single that one thing yeah mm-hmm. exactly like we don't all fit neatly into one piece and I think my other takeaway too is like I'm not saying that I don't agree with this whole theory because I definitely do think there's a lot to giving mm-hmm. but I think so much of it is your environment and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. kind of also like what messages you've been told like if you constantly have people ghosting on you all the time mm-hmm. like you're a human like some of that is gonna just wear on you even if you were like the most securely raised child ever mm-hmm. so I think it, it is far the experiences you have in the working model you have exactly so I think like yeah it's ideal to be like your friend that's like this isn't personal but I think it's just natural sometimes that that can take a toll on you Mm -hmm. so I think again it comes back to your takeaway of being aware of all of this but also not letting it necessarily dictate your life in a one-size-fits-all way yeah and having I think acceptance for like it's balancing okay yeah I can change some of these things and also like I can accept where I'm at and part of the secure attachment style too is really being able to say like, hey, this is me and I accept right. that and it's okay. I, I can, you know, let people go and, yep. and that kind of thing and talking yourself through it. And I think that's where having people around you that are your supporters, cultivating like secure connections with friends and or a therapist or and like this is therapy actually how it's designed to is to be able to like rework your attachment style in the relationship mm. with therapists, which sometimes people aren't aware of that, but it, and it depends on the style of therapy or therapist yeah. practices. Um, or in your romantic relationship, just working towards creating more security together and yep. being able to talk about this is where I feel insecure. This is what's underneath it. And instead of enacting it, instead of just jumping into the action of yeah. the insecurity. And there's not something wrong with you if you're an insecure. Yeah, like if you're a avoidant. therapist yeah. over here. I know. It's training. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. You're just not as superior as the secure ones. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, but I feel like, like, I think that's the problem with when you're put into a box. Like, and you're told secure is like the gold standard. Like mm-hmm. there's something wrong with you exactly. if you're in the other yeah, two. Yeah. And I think that's why, again, I like this notion of this hybrid of like, I'm just going to be mm-hmm. secure in some ways and insecure in others. And that's natural. We actually had a guest on our show, Josh, mm-hmm. that talked about like how when he first met his fiance, they kind of put out at the very beginning, like, like this is right. where I struggle. We all have something. It's whether you're aware of it or if yeah. you're not. Mm-hmm. So like, I think I guess what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded way is like don't think it's a fault but like rather an area yeah yeah, to own and like work with someone on I love just bringing it up and letting them know like where it's coming from yes I feel like it's just learning a new language like Mm -hmm. imagine Mm -hmm. the world opens up to you even more if you learn a new language it's the same with this and something you said earlier Lauren you said um, people who are anxious or who 
are in these insecure attachment styles don't have the tools mm -hmm. to work on, on their insecurities. So basically, the people who are secure still experience all these other insecurities. They just have the tools and the language around what they're experiencing. Yeah. So if that's really what it is. You're just adding more languages to your toolkit so you can describe what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. I would say they have, yeah, they have that experience of emotion, but they learn to self-soothe and they learn to not, to self-regulate, to regulate their nervous system, soothe themselves. They feel distressed. Yep. It's not like they just have the absence of negative experiences because they're human. Like the rest yeah, of yeah. Have, it's bound to happen. Yeah. And that's a really good point too when we're talking about like how do you move from more of an insecure to a secure. Mm -hmm. Like your ch childhood isn't going to change. Like that's no, in the past, right? Back. Like yeah. you can't change that. But I think like for me, for example, I've recognized that like one of my challenges is like this fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. yeah. But like now if I don't get like a text message back immediately mm -hmm. or something, I can change the story in my head Change the narrative yeah, yeah. and be yeah. like okay like maybe they're at a meeting maybe they're doing something else this has nothing to do with their feelings towards mm -hmm. me like kind of try to like rationalize it a bit mm -hmm. or even express to them like this is where it's coming from like mm -hmm. I'm not blaming yeah. you like this is my own shit exactly. but just this is where I'm like a little deficient in like what I bring to the table mm -hmm. you know yeah exactly so you're Absolutely. just you're recognizing the story instead of just going straight into a reaction around yep. it I think that takes some of the charge out of it and gives the other person space to say oh that totally makes sense that you'd feel that way and that's not what was happening or whatever yeah they get to respond to you yeah. have you guys seen the Brene Brown special on Netflix no no oh I'm my god just, I watched so it it's so good it. <laughs> so good because I just love her like she's too. like the most amazing speaker so <laughs> she's, she's like done like all these studies about like vulnerability mm -hmm. and shame and mm -hmm. a lot right mm -hmm. she's amazing but she had this whole thing about like the way she approaches her husband mm -hmm. is the story I'm telling myself right now <laughs> is so it's not like oh. putting blame on it okay. and it's basically like this is what I'm saying to myself oh. right now where are you at and then they can be like wow like that is not what I was thinking in the slightest oh my God, I love that I know she's like now every fight we have or every conversation I even fight is like that's how it starts instead of like feeling that anxiety mm -hmm. and like how do I just say this mm -hmm. in a way that like we can have a conversation and then we can squash it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just reframing what you're thinking yep and not mm. blaming them and not blaming i like that i feel more secure from this conversation <laughs> already i think i'm a secure attacher <laughs> thanks you guys your test is gonna be totally biased <laughs> like i know how to answer all the questions no they ask you like in five different ways so you can't game the test which test? Okay. Well, that's true. There's like a thousand <laughs> tests. The one test I took, they kept asking the same question in, in different ways. The Psychology Today one? Yes, the Psychology Today one. But the one um, you've recommended is called what again? The woman who put it on her site, her name was Diane Poole. P-O-O-L-E. P-O-O-L-E. Oh, DianePooleHeller.com backslash attachment dash test okay <laughs> i liked the psychology today one because they gave me a secure rating but <laughs> no bias i mean i'm also like i'm questioning this uh book mm -hmm. because i also got the insecure thing so i've I either think that done quiz is bunk yeah so i've either done major <laughs> self-work yeah, right? or there's something there to begin with i don't know but i would be curious maybe, maybe. i'll retake it and see if i still get insecure yeah. but yeah. i'm definitely doing 
also one a really said. short quiz, and the the attached website is really short. Mm. Yeah. Psychology Today one I had to pay six ninety five for. Oh, okay. so. oh man, <laughs> yeah, and I, I haven't done enough research to say which test. I haven't done, taken them all. I was just looking for that one that I did years ago and not able to find it. Pools doesn't have quadrants, but she does like percentages in a pie yeah. chart. There was another one I did actually showed you your attachment to different figures. So it was mm, like your cool. best friend, your mom, oh, your dad, okay. your awesome, partner, yeah. if you had one. Or I guess if you didn't, you could just do it relative to old partners. We do do them all. Do all the tests. <laughs> but you already You're know the answers. Get, I am secure. The, the problem is when you do them all, you get like a thousand different you answers. So yeah, answers. You're like, I don't know what I am anymore. In the end, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what you are. I and think so you confused. read everyone has a different yeah. description of like what that means right. on all the results too. I was, all these tests, like they're great to get a baseline, but you can't judge your, you can't put your whole like weight of your no. personality and Definitely everything. Not. Not. on a test. But if you know your attachment style, would you recommend people putting it on their dating profiles? Oh, interesting. Uh, no, but <laughs> no. I would say... Uh, only if you're secure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I write about that. I think it's almost a red flag when people put things on their profile that are like emotionally available because like, you know, I, anyone can say that. But right. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Did you take a test for that? <laughs> and which test was it? Was right. it attached test? Because, Did your therapist no. give you yeah, seal exactly. of approval? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, where did you get this information? Was it from your ex? Because that's what I want to know. But, uh, I think I think it should be a conversation. Mm. I don't think online dating is really the appropriate platform to try to develop any secure attachment, develop even like <laughs> a solid understanding. One of the things I, I think about online dating is like people have these different approaches and some people just get on there to get offline. But a lot of people get on there to get to know someone through yeah. text. And yep. you really don't because you, you, you know someone after you meet them and then how they follow up with you, how they treat you that's where secure bonds are formed yep. by seeing how they interact with you over time and how they treat you not whether or not they're they're simply responsive through text like it's different if someone's responsive through text and you've never met them that's different than if you know you've met them in person and they really show up for you and they're there for yeah. you i recommend having those conversations in person as a way to facilitate deeper connection and start yeah, to totally. build security with each other but mm-hmm. we'll just react to it if we see someone's fashion style like oh swipe left in the five percent <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for shedding some light on attachment theories. I've been wanting to do this topic forever. For a long time. I'm so glad we got to do it. I'm yeah. and I feel like this. attachment theories are like the hot new test of the moment right now. I feel like everyone's talking about it. It's cool and trendy. I don't know. I think someone needs to do more research. The last research was 1965. I feel like there's a new wave that needs to happen. Yeah. Polyamorous yeah. relationships. Like, yeah, that would do you be have a great different attachment styles? Right. For or sure. if you're drawn to polyamory versus right. monogamy, yeah. what does that say about your attachment Also styles? a fabulous question. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got to start our research dissertation. Done. Let's, Done. Let's do it. Starting Attached episode now. two. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years. We'll let you know. (laughs) I mean, it's been since 1965. Yeah, so we we might need some time. Give us a little time. The world is speeding up, but not that much. So here's the thing. People have done so much research, and there's all these tests to take now. Maybe for our listeners at home, if you've taken a test that's really helped you shape your relationships, maybe um, you want to be a guest on our show and talk about it. Beyond personality tests, what else is out there? There's got to be so many. Something super out there that we've never heard. That'd be amazing if someone came through. Oh, it's like your 
detachment style. Like, how do you break up with people? Boy, love languages, hate languages. Yeah. <laughs> I know, we gotta do more research. We're not way here. But if you like to get in touch with Lauren, how would they contact you? You can go on my website. It's at laurencorshackmft.com. And we'll link w- all of that w- in our show notes. For that. And then Instagram is at the Mindful Matchmaker. And my Facebook is Lauren Korshak MFT. Perfect. So, MFT yeah. is marriage. And family therapist. That's what I do. I work with individuals and couples. And I also do um, coaching as well, dating coaching, and teach mindfulness specifically around dating and relationships. So a weekly uh, meditation group called MetaDate that's dating and relationship-themed meditations. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. I love that. So it's, it's actually inspired by this topic, like how do we create more security like in offline relationships and create a community over time? So the class is really designed to just come and meditate with people and have a little bit of interaction where you're talking about deeper topics and mm-hmm. get to know people over time. Ooh, I want to come. Yeah. What I a love concept. This. Yeah. <laughs> what a concept. Meeting people yeah. in real life and IRL. getting to know them mm-hmm. over time. Yep. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what, coming uh, back. It's coming, coming back. back. It's pretty come retro, back. but I'm into it. And then I do a book club as well where we talk about dating and relationship themes. It's like an hour and a half each week. And those are those are people that make an eight-week commitment. So we go a little bit deeper and talk Ooh. about things like this as they relate to mindfulness. So do you read so. a book for that eight-week yeah. period and then you discuss it? Yeah. Oh. So our first book and what I the book that I'll be repeating in future book clubs is If the Buddha Dated. The yeah. title already. Yeah. Yeah. I so many things to do on Lauren's website. <laughs> I've been busy for a long time. <laughs> I am busy for a long time. I also will have a book coming out, Mindfulness and Couples. It's so nice of you to not sleep and do all of this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, we're still looking for a guest for our upcoming seasons. Let us know if you want to be a guest on our show. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Stay dateable. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag Stay Dateable, and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.